Hello and welcome to Forefront 360, where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. I'm Nate Mancini, I'm one of the founders of Forefront, and today we get to share a wonderful conversation from Forefront Festival 22 earlier this year, featuring singer-songwriter Joy Ike and painter and actor Brian Ferris. Moderating the conversation is my friend and Forefront board member, Zach Osinski. My name is Zach Osinski. I am a classical flutist originally from North Carolina. I did my undergraduate studies here in Rochester at the Eastman School of Music. I'm currently finishing up a doctorate at University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, Illinois. And it is very, very, very good to be back in Rochester. And I'm very glad to be here with you all at Forefront tonight. We're going to have a conversation with a couple of our of our featured artists, and I'm I'm really excited to be to to be up here with them tonight. I'm going to introduce them to you, and then we'll get going. So first, we have Brian Ferris. You've seen his artwork in the lobby. By day, Brian is a marketing professional, but by night, he is a painter and an actor. He's a native of Ohio and has lived in Pittsburgh since graduating from Grove City College in 2019. During college, Brian spent most of of his creative talents in the theater, spending a majority of his time acting. And when the pandemic began and most opportunities in theater dried up, Brian took to a completely new artistic medium, which was painting. His paintings feature abstract forms and are characterized by a process of applying and removing paints, which leave his works washed and renewed with color. In Brian's words, he finds that his work is best created while meditating on God's mysteries. And when his hands are moving as a response to the canvas and to the creator. Next, we have Joy Ike. Joy is a singer-songwriter based out of Philadelphia. In Joy's own words, she is a percussionist trapped in a pianist's body. Joy's music is adventurous, it's contemplative, and it's truly genre-defying. She was raised by Nigerian immigrants and attributes her musical styling to her African upbringing. Joy believes that music and art has the power to transform hearts and to connect people. As an artist coach and as a former publicist, she teaches workshops on branding and marketing. Joy is passionate about art as a vehicle for change, empowerment, and for empathy. Would you welcome Brian and Joy to the stage? I'm so glad to be sitting up here with you guys. Thanks for coming. Of course. Thanks for having us. This is fun. Hi. (laughs) I wanted to ask maybe a fairly lighthearted question to start off with. What is your first memory of creating something? If you need to think about it, I could share share my own. Please. Yeah? (laughs) Uh, When this question came to my mind, the first thing that came up was... I think I was three years old, and my mom was in the kitchen, and she was about to start making sugar cookies, and I begged her to let me help her, but she 
she wouldn't let me. And so the next time she was making sugar cookies, I begged and begged again until she finally relented and let me and let me be a part of the process. And what I remember most clearly about it was not, I don't remember eating the cookies. I don't remember even cutting out the cookies. But I, what I remember is reading the, the recipe card and reading the measurement for flour. The flour was two and three-fourths cups. And mom asked me, how much flour do we need? And I said, we need two, and we need two. <laughs> <laughs> um, but something about my mother inviting me into something that she was doing, and we were both able to share in it together, just has always rested in my memory. And I always look back, back to that moment as a as a kind of formative, creative moment for me. You know, this isn't so much creating a product or, or a cookie, um, but I remember I was such a playful child, um, and my imagination would just take me all day. So um, a lot of my childhood was spent in my grandmother's backyard, which had a forest, which would lead down to a pond. Um, me and my brothers and my dad would go fishing, um, and it was always a, a really wonderful summer afternoon um, to do that. But um, on the days where maybe my mom and I came alone to visit with my grandmother, um, I would just go run around the forest, and I would find a stick, a really good stick. Not too heavy, but not too light, so you can whip it around like a sword. Um, and I just would create in my mind the, these worlds where I'm this hero, and um, I'm fighting villains and doing good, and... Um, just running uh, like, like through nature and enjoying that as a part um, of the play. So I, I think um, building these worlds in my mind was really the first um, thing that I made. Uh, not, you know, again, not a physical product, but um, of the imagination. I think I'd have to share that answer, but the the thing that came to mind when you when you asked that question, the first thing that came to mind was like kind of a negative experience, so I didn't want to share it. But um, when I was a kid, I would hum all the time. I still hum all the time, and uh, I remember just kind of it, it was never creating a song per se, but it was just like there was always just something something that I was singing. And uh, I remember my, my brother, older brother, coming into the room and, and being like, you sound like a dead butterfly, and then slamming the door. <laughs> because I had, like, this uncontrollable vibrato that went like, ah! So, um, and I guess growing up in, in my house, uh, my parents were always very much about discipline and being focused and doing everything and, and uh, somewhat, like, perfectionist kind of atmosphere, but kind of taking the joy away from creating for the sake of just creating and enjoying the experience of it. So I, I spent a lot of time in my, like in my imagination where that was more of a safer space for me just to kind of like shut out the real world and just kind of create without any, um, without structure, without expectation. Beautiful, beautiful. So in individual conversations that I've had with both of you, you've shared with me a little bit about what your, your workspace is like when you're, when you're creating your art. I wonder if you, if you could share with us what, what your workspace is and what your relationship is with, like, what your relationship is like with those physical spaces. 
Wow. So that has changed for me um, a lot, especially over the last two years. Um, I've lived the last 17 years um, and really the last 14 years uh, full time as a working artist. And so I've always kind of had a designated place at home for writing um, and for working through songs and kind of chewing on songs, leaving them, going back. And a song for me is a process of kind of just like chiseling out like a, like a, you know, a sculptor and cutting out pieces until I find the song. But um, I have had a, an interesting relationship with music, having a lot having to do with what I just shared, where music has always felt like um, there's always this attachment of perfection. There's always this attachment of um, making uh, something that outdoes the last album or outdoes the last song or the last music video. And so the last four years now, three, four years, and especially these last two years as things have um, changed in the world, um, it's been, I've been able to give my, myself permission not to, not to be so attached to that perfection and not to be so attached to even making music. Um, and so I say that to say my workspace has completely changed because I'm rarely making music. Uh, most of my time is spent at my art table um, making things, and these things are typically are not for other people, but they're just a place for me to reflect on um, what's going on in the world um, and to listen to God's voice and to ask him, how, how are you speaking through what's happening around me and how, how do I speak to those, to those things? Um, and so uh, my art space is, is just messy, messy everything. You'll see a little bit of that on my merch table out there. Um, I've been making musical instruments for the last uh, year or so. But um, for me, uh, everything I, I do revolves around uh, uh, visuals. So I have been really feeling more like a visual storyteller over these last few years than anything else. Um, so DSLR and, and Photoshop are my favorite tools. Um, so I spend a lot of time um, figuring out how, how do I tell stories to people that I can't see in person as much anymore. How do I tell stories, which has always been the heart of what I do, but how do I do it now through poetry? And how do I bring those, those words to life through the visuals that people are going to see through social media? Uh, well, so as you heard, you know, I only started painting uh, in 2020 during the pandemic. Uh, and at the time, I was living in an apartment uh, in Crafton, Pittsburgh, um, and what that was was just a table and kind of necessity. Um, I, you know, as you mentioned in, when you read my bio a little bit, like all the acting was disappearing. My callbacks that I was supposed to have were not really going to happen. Um, and so I, I needed some outlet. Um, there was the darkness of the pandemic and the unknown. Um, and so I just had this woodblock table it, at my first apartment um, that was stored in my parents' basement uh, for however many years. Um, and it was old, so it could get dirty. It could get paint all over it. Um, now, um, after I got married and moved into a house, um, it is currently the garage, which I've learned is very, very cold in the wintertime. Um, so usually it, it's not as picturesque as um, maybe my Instagram or uh, what you see on Instagram Explore when you're looking at people's... Um, you know, workspaces, either they have a nice warehouse or, um, you know, they're working in this really quiet sunroom with a little plant. Uh, mine is the car from 2002, uh, my workbench, 
uh, me in a big dirty jacket with the hood up. And I've got a little space heater that's not doing nearly as much work as I would like it to. Um, and it doesn't bother me. I think in my art, I try to make something that shows the reality of um, our broken souls and that not everything is a beautiful setting and not all beauty comes from beautiful places. Um, I think what David was saying about living in this dark time and looking to the future um, and in art and faith, which I love, um, how uh, Mako describes making new and, and this idea of the world that could be and will be um, through Christ and, and what we make can be a part of that um, creation. So um, right now it's in the uh, cold basement, cold garage, but um, I've been enjoying it and it, it doesn't bother me that much. <laughs> a heated practice room is sounding a lot nicer right now. <laughs> yeah. You both describe something about when you're in your when you're creating when you're in those spaces of of listening of hearing from the lord of of looking into the world steve garber would call it of paying attention learning to pay attention um i wonder if we could lean in into that more is that something that you feel that you are as a believer consciously cultivating in your work or does it come from from stepping into the work and being faithful to it? The, the realms I try to make in my paintings and, and the work, um, it's not always what I envision. Like I was explaining when I'm a child, I, I could picture this fantasy world in my head. Um, right now my craft is trying to catch up to my, to my imagination and it's been a work in progress. And, and what you were talking about with making perfection, it's, it's never really attainable. But there's something about um, um, the call of God to make something beautiful as he has with this world, which was good um, until it was soiled uh, with sin. Um, That definitely plays a part um, in the creative process, whether or not it's seen in the painting. um, That's more or less up to the viewer. Um, But actively meditating on um, the beauty that God's made through nature um, and, and through his creation certainly plays a role into the process and the, the human approach to trying to create something that is, is meaningful and, and worthwhile. Yeah, I, I told people when the pandemic first started and I, and I really, I just stopped writing music, um, I told people, or as I understood it at that point, was because life wasn't happening for me uh, or anyone really, and it, it felt like I'd spent all of my life writing as a byproduct of places I'd gone and people I'd met and conversations I'd had, which was true. Um, But then I realized uh, as these these years have played out, (laughs) so there's, uh, there's this, you know, I think it's in Revelations where um, this angel's telling Paul, come up higher, right? Or is it John? I'm sorry. Come up higher. And and so... (sighs) This is going to be all scattered. But I feel like this season that I'm in right now, I'm not, what I'm writing is not based on who I'm talking to. Um, it's who, based on who I'm listening to. And so the poems are coming out of, of hearing what God is saying. It's like he's saying, what is it that I have for you to tell this generation? Because what I have 
for you to tell them is so much more important than what they're telling you and what you want to tell them out of your own out of your own knowledge and out of your own human wisdom. And um, there is uh, there's the scripture that I have given you the keys to the kingdom. What you bind on earth is is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And at, in this season, I feel like the practice of listening has so much more to do with what, listening to what God is saying as opposed to listening what, to what's happening around me. Um, I'm still taking in what's around me because I think in order to be able to speak to it, you need to know what's happening. But the act of listening has just so changed for me where it's not about what's happening here anymore. It's about what's happening here because everything that we do, even as David was talking about our imaginations, it's all coming from the invisible to the visible. So what's happening in, in our in the, the imagination realm in the realm that speaks into what's what's real and what's reality, that carries so much more weight than what's happening here. So I think I've just had to exercise a new muscle of listening and to listen differently. How has that shaped your relationship with what, with um, just the the process of creating in general? Maybe before the pandemic and in the past two years, how has that shaped your relationship with it? Is there is there new joy? Is there new hope? What's yeah, it like? that's, you know what, that's the, the best word for it, joy. Like we were even talking earlier during the coffee hour about striving and perfectionism and feeling like you always have to one-up yourself or one-up another creator, one other artist or something, but you don't because it doesn't have anything to do with anyone else. What we're creating, you, you know what I mean. Doesn't It's not that I'm saying that what we do doesn't have to do with anyone else, but what we're doing it carries so much more weight than what people think about it. Like, what does God think about it? And is it good? And so it has completely transformed what I do. Um, and even, even um, this is right before the pandemic in February, every year I'm at a conference in Pittsburgh. Um, and I was actually having a conversation with Justin McRoberts. And I was like, I don't know what to do because I feel really stuck. I don't want to be making music, but I do. But I've always had this very complicated relationship with making music and um this new season of creating has nothing to do with that perfectionism and it doesn't have anything to do with being good enough and so there's a there's a freedom that's come out of that how about you brian in taking up a completely a completely new medium how would you answer that question yeah i mean i think when rich asked me to come show my work um, this weekend, I was ecstatic. I, I was really excited, but at the same time, I was like, I mean, I'm just like an amateur. Like, you know, I don't know about that, but of course I'll come. And then um, speaking here, I, I think the pitch I took um, and I had to learn about was um, making new is the theme of this. Um, it, it's it's such an encouragement to be able to um, sit down and, and try to do something new, um, try and work towards perfection, work towards um, something beautiful. I think, like, as creative people, as I believe most of us are here, and there's always, I think, a creative bone in everybody's body, um, there, there's this sense of, you know, if you're not creating, if you're not actively um, in meditation with God and with, with creation... Um, there's something missing, and I was feeling that. There was, um, 
you know, whether or not I'm doing a play about um, a very worldly thing that doesn't mention God at all, there's still a human story in that play and, and in the acting and in the movement that you're doing on stage and the emotions that um, the audience is feeling. Um, turning to something like art where you're alone and you're meditating and, and it's, it's a totally different way of looking at being creative. Um, and there was definitely an uncertainty about it picking it up, um, I didn't want to waste my money. I didn't want to waste my time, you know. Um, but every single time when I would finish painting, whether or not I liked what the result was, I was always thankful that I did. Not only because I was making, but because I was in communion with God, um, again, meditating and, and things like that. Um, and I think my paintings reflect that uncertainty. They're not always beautiful. They're not always aesthetically pleasing. That's not the point. Um, I think as creators and as, as um, artists, we are also called to capture the things that are going on and even where we are in our spiritual journey. I, I'm sure you would agree that your music and, and art is a part of you. Um, and, um, yeah, I think the art reflects that. It makes me think, uh, just going back to Genesis here, it makes me think about... <clears throat> When God creates Adam, the first thing that he does is he takes Adam and he puts him into the Garden of Eden. And he says, Adam, work the land and take care of it. And for for me, as, as a classical musician, the past two years has really been a process of coming to a point in my musical development where my practicing was just miserable mm-hmm. and my my prayer just became like god i really want to to want to do this and i just don't feel that way right now mm-hmm. and in coming honestly to, coming to that honest question with him in that place of you know in a, in a space of making where i felt where i have felt called to and equipped to to step into as a as a musician what I have felt flow into that space has just continually been grace where the the peace that comes from an hour spent in a practice room, the, the, the joy that comes from an hour spent in a practice room is hinging less and less on if I can create the most resonant sound that is in tune and I can play it as softly or as loudly as I want it really just is continually being more deeply rooted in this idea that I am with the Lord I'm coming in here working this gift and caring for it by by grace yeah and I think that can come into anything that we do as people uh, building relationships um, working on those relationships, caring for people. Um, mm. When you're writing a song or painting a piece, you're putting care and time into it, um, and it reflects it. Yeah, yeah. It's making me think of um, when I was recording my the last album I put out in 2008. Um, the years leading up to the writing and the recording and all that stuff was so, like, 
I was like, I knew what I was doing. Like, I knew what I was writing it for. I knew what the meaning of the, the songs were. And I, I knew the impact I wanted them to make. And I didn't know what would happen, but I hoped that it would, you know, do, do whatever it could do the, to the best of its ability. And then as soon as the album came out, I, I completely forgot because it was all about all the quantifiable things, like the numbers and the amount of people coming out to shows, breaking even with, even with the band, making sure that posts were getting traction and things like that. And so there's something to that care where when we remember that it's, it's less about the quantitative and more about the qualitative, that it transforms everything. But I think we as artists often forget that some, somewhere along the way. Mm-hmm. I... I uh in that callback that never happened, I was reading this monologue um, and it was an artist who was putting their work out on display and he was grappling with the fact that people were going to be seeing it, interpreting it. And he's like, it's not like mine anymore. Like it's theirs and they can do what they want with it. Um, As Christian creatives, we need to uh, imbue our work with something that, is much more meaningful than just a pretty picture or a sweet melody. Um, something that um, anybody who can see it can take an interpretation and learn more about Christ through it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Goodness, y'all! I'm just <laughs> I'm just taking this in. This is great. I, I will echo the question that was fielded in the opening video. What do what do Christian artists need? in the year 2022. I don't want to shut down any answer that um, you might be pondering there, but it reminds me of a Joy Williams song um, called mm. All I Need. Mm. And um, the, the line in the chorus goes, I may, I may not have everything I want, but I've got all I need. Um, I think as as creatives, we don't need the materials or anything. We just need people in a room talking, um, start conversations about difficult things in the church and in culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there is anything, um, definitely seeking Christ. I'm, I'm echoing um, whoever was on the video. I, I forget his name, but um, seeking Christ and, and God first and, and listening, actively listening. Um, for what he has to say. Yeah, I think I would echo that. I def- I got goosebumps watching that video and just listening to what everyone was saying. I think it was was it Andrew Niemer? Was his name? The the tap tap guy. Um <laughs> Yeah. I just like I I think that was it for me. Like, you know, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, all those things shall be added, all these additional things. But we go for all the things first, and and if they don't work out, then, you know, God's our backup plan. But when we have God, we have it all, and all of those things come because we're in the center of his will. And so um, I just feel like this has been a season, and this continues to be a season where um, God is calling us up higher and calling us to orient ourselves and what we do around who he is and who he has called us to be. And I think, you know, what's, what's interesting um, conversation I was having with some friends lately was that uh, was about creating out of a deficit in, instead of creating out of 
God's abundance. Like Maka always talks about abundanza, like the abundance of God, knowing that there is no scarcity in the kingdom. Um, yet we, we operate as if there's scarcity. Um, and sometimes it's not even scarcity of materials and resources, but it's scarcity of knowing like who we are in him. And because of that, we're operating out of wanting other people's approval instead of realizing the only approval that we really need is uh, we have that approval um, already. And so um, I think we as artists need a revelation of who we are, who God has called us to be, and the weight of what we carry and can carry and put out into the world. I was going to, to echo that sentiment too, joy of scarcity and abundance and yeah, I keep coming back to, to grace, having an abundance of grace where if I come to the end of a, a say just a, an hour of practicing again, I think of God as just being a parent who's with his child and their child makes them a, a drawing. And, you know, when your kid hands you a drawing that they've made, it's, it's the most beautiful, joyful thing to receive it and celebrate it with them. Um, yeah. We, uh, we've got five to ten minutes. If you'd like to come up to the center here, we have a mic. If you'd like to ask Joy and Brian any questions. No need to be shy. Yeah, really. <laughs> you guys both talked about listening to God. Do you have any advice? For, I'm a talker. I just like to talk and talk. I'm not <laughs> great at slowing down and like listening to God. So how do you do that? Do you do that in stillness? Do you do that in art? How would you advise someone if you like want to start listening? What would you do? That's a great question. I love that question. Uh, well, you said it best, I think. Nature, uh, nature has just been the place, the place to be. Um, especially <laughs> the last two years, I just love being in the woods. I really, really love it. It's like a, a part of my weekly practice now. Um, and uh, I'm going to talk in my session about silence and how I think there might not actually be silence because everything's moving. Even if we're not talking, there's the humming of, you know, there's, there's always something happening. Um, and so uh, silence is something that I really enjoy, but I'm starting to realize that in silence, most of my silence happens, you know, I have this really old orange armchair in my living room and I just pull out my journal and I just write. But then the pausing and the listening has become such a huge part of that time with God um, and writing what he's saying, what I, what I believe he's saying to me. Um, but I, I used to spend so much time kind of, you know, doing the, just going to pray and talk and then put in my time and then be gone and say I, I did it, you know. Um, but I think now spending time with God has been interactive in the way that I would spend time with anyone else going on a walk, um, you know, letter writing, right? So journaling um, and all those things that I would do in relationship with others. I mean, I love the nature answer. Um, I, I, I looked it up, by the way, um, when I mentioned that um, I, I feel God the most in nature um, and I, I ultimately believe that God exists um, through through nature theology, natural theology in a sense. Um, and so 
I mean, that's always such a great thing to get out and, and do something that you love, whether it's a walk or fishing or, um, you know, whatever it could be. Um, for me personally, that's where I feel in tune um, and being alone and just hearing birds and um, the snow. I went on a walk the other day and it was when there was a snowstorm that came through Pittsburgh and it was melting. And so all the trees were lined with these drops of melted snow and they were all falling. And it was so beautiful. And I, that night I went back home and I was like, I got I to gotta paint something. <laughs> like whether or not it's snow or, or, or um, water, but um, doing, like finding something that inspires you, that, that God you know is a part of, um, that's always helpful for me. I think a practical answer um, is to set aside time or decide. I, I always um, I work a nine to five, so when I'm sitting at dinner with uh, my wife, um, sometimes I'll be like, I might paint. I don't know, maybe I won't paint. Do I feel inspired? I don't think I feel inspired. I was looking at Excel sheets all day, <laughs> um, and then sometimes she'll be like, Why don't Why don't you paint? Why don't you try it? <laughs> I was like, Okay. Um, and I go downstairs and um, setting that time aside and, and not having my phone near me, um, although sometimes I have a soundtrack going, um, but just not, not worrying about the amount of time I have or, or what's happening tomorrow um, and setting aside that hour or two or three um, just to, to meditate on, on God's words. And if people are looking for resources on this too as a, a spiritual practice, um, Ruth Haley Barton's Invitation to Solitude and Silence is a great, great book on this very topic. Highly recommend it. Anyone else? I'm just curious from my own kind of experience. Sometimes I get bogged down with the conceptual and the thematic thinking things through. But then I listen to an amazing song or just read a poem that just floors me, and I'm just kind of overwhelmed with the artistic surge. And I'm wondering, um, in your own artistic lives, what is kind of an experience that you've had of artistic triumph and creative just overflow that kind of makes it all worthwhile? What's maybe on the stage, maybe it's while you're painting, like what's that one experience uh, that fills you to overflow? Great question. I love when art excites and, and encourages people. Um, I think for me, the, the biggest thing, um, again, I'm still a novice at painting. Um, I, I felt the thrill of seeing something that worked the way I wanted it to. I made a post um, a little while back, like when I was like a few months into it, where it was something that I was kind of proud of, but yeah, I don't know. But I posted it anyway because it accomplished something that I was hoping it would. Um, and I, I was really proud of that and really excited um, through that. Um, going back to when I was acting, um, it was always, it was always um, being so in the moment and just um, you, <laughs> like having this understanding of what's going to happen in the scene and being able to build up to it um, and then get to that moment, that, that really pivotal moment in the play or the musical. Um, but you know it's coming, but your character doesn't. So you're saying these lines, you know, you're, you're, you know that this character, Sam Kenny, is going to say this thing to you. And um, anyway, so I, you can see I'm excited. Um, <laughs> so I, I think... 
being in the moment with, with that and, and um, fully with the character, one in one with the character. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it was the last, like official, official official thing I did. I put a music video out at the end of 2020, and it was uh, a reflection uh, to where we were in the country and all of the all of the headbutting on social media and the song was called wearing love and it was uh, a call to put on love and to respond from a place of love and so um the song started from i won't i won't go fully into it. i'll share more tonight um, when i share the song but the song started from a really bad family vacation in aruba where None of us wanted to be next to, like, around each other, but we were trapped in the same Airbnb for seven days, and it was absolutely miserable. And so I came home from this trip. Uh, this is the end of 2019, and I was just like, how do I love these people? I have no idea how to do this. Um, and I, I finished the song at the very beginning of 2020, and then as 2020 played out, I was like, oh, wow, this song has nothing to do with my family anymore. This song has everything to do with everybody. How do we love? Um, and so anyhow, um, as the year played out and as the song kind of developed a bit, all these different, and I, that's when I started making art because I was at home a lot. And uh, I started uh, creating all of these different like things that as the music video, out, as the video, music video concept kind of came together, um, all these different things that I was doing in my apartment all the time, like dancing because I couldn't go to Zumba class anymore. Um, I, I just decided, oh, I'm going to make a music video for the song because I really need to share this with the world right now. Um, maybe I should choreograph a dance, even though I'm not a professional dancer. And maybe I should paper mache the artwork for the, out, for the music video because I've been making art. So it was just like a cool experiment of just exercising muscles that I hadn't before. And it was one of the most exciting projects I've ever done, just like seeing um, what would happen if I just decided to like break all the rules that I had given myself over the years. It has been a joy to, to share this conversation with both of you. Can we give Brian and Joy a hand? High five! Yeah. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. <laughs>